What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. From the Wall Street Journal, this is Instant Message. I'm David Pierce. This week on the show, how we buy things and how all those things get to us. We're going to talk about why we humans love the idea of having everything delivered to us and what that's doing to all the companies trying to deliver that stuff. Later, Christopher Mims interview with Yuriv Bash, the CEO of Flytrex, a company that wants to use drones to help deliver everything from mail to coffee to food and drinks on a golf course, apparently. But first... You know how when you're searching Amazon, you see that little Amazon's Choice logo next to certain options? It seems like that would be a good sign that this is something you can buy and trust, right? Well, it's more complicated than you think, as is apparently everything on an Amazon page. So let's start by talking about that. Here, as always, Christopher Mims and Joanna Stern. And with me today in the studio, personal tech reporter Katie Binley. Hi, everybody. Hi. There's so many of us today. And Wilson, our editor, is asleep somewhere in the control room. So, uh, okay, so let's talk about Amazon. Katie, this this is your story. And I got to listen. One of my favorite things about sitting next to you is listening to you talk to people about their shopping experiences on the internet. (laughs) Yes. But this one started with you, right? You had a weird Amazon experience that, like, started you down this weird, can I trust anything I see on Amazon kind of rabbit hole. It was really just very simple. Like, people... Everyone I know is obsessed with shopping on Amazon and most like a lot of my friends and family have like multiple kids and they just are like, you know, autopilot, reorder, reorder, reorder. And I live alone and still have like 180 tall kitchen bags that Alexa accidentally (laughs) ordered me from the last time I was doing an Amazon story. So like a lot of it's just, you know, I kind of I stop by CVS on my way home from work and get stuff there. But because people are always like, Amazon's so much cheaper, you have to start shopping there more. I was like, all right, I'm going to, I was at a dish detergent and I'm like, all right, I'm going to buy my Cascade on Amazon this time. And so I like, you know, you go, you type in the, what you want, like liquid Cascade or whatever, and you get tons of results. And one of the ones high up that looked It looked totally fine. So I like went to go click on it. And then I was like, okay, it's $13. And then I just thought to myself, like, wait, how much is Cascade supposed to cost? Is that something like that? Like, who knows? You just sort of buy it. Right. You're not like looking at your receipt at, you know, Target or whatever to see what the what the Cascade costed. Costed? Whoa, cost. Anyway, so I just decided to like do a little online price check. And then I saw that the size bottle I was looking at should cost more like six or seven dollars. And so then then I just started to wonder, like, wait, you know, I could have just thrown that in my cart and checked out and I would have never, you know, even realized it. What else am I missing on here? And what's everyone else missing by just sort of moving really quickly and tapping by now? And that's how it all got started. OK. And so Mims and Joanna, I'm curious what you guys are like on Amazon, because I totally resonated with this story that the the headline, I think, was basically like, don't click buy now. You see it and it's like, oh, there's a thing. I need that eventually. I'm just going to, you know, it has some stars in the reviews. It seems good. I'm just going to buy it. And like over time, I feel like I'm slowly learning how to do all of the research you actually have to do. But I feel like Amazon's whole goal is for you to just like be on autopilot and buy it 
and they spend all this time telling you it's cheap and easy and everything's great and don't worry about it and just buy it. Like, is that, do you guys shop that way? You're both people with children who have better things to do than shop on Amazon and price check like Katie and me. <laughs> we're training our children, together, Mims and I, with our own children, we're training them how to shop on Amazon. Thank God. It's going to be the most important skill they have. Well, and Joanna, this is, you've been writing about this for a while too, the like how to trust reviews and figure out what's real and what isn't. Like, is this, yeah. do you guys, have you guys left the shopping autopilot yet? Yeah. I mean, Katie, one of the best things I think that you told us in the story is about Amazon choice, because I had kept seeing these buttons everywhere. And as a product reviewer, I often see them on products that are not very good or products I've tested that I'm like, mm, that that was a really shady product or that was a came from a shady seller. That's weird that it's an Amazon choice. And it, what you say in this piece and what you've reported out is that Amazon doesn't really test these, right? It's all based on other signals on, on Amazon, whether it be reviews or number of purchases or I assume purchases from people who buy a number of things and you, they feel like trusted buyers or sellers or whatever. So to me, it was interesting here that that Amazon's not really active in that, in that, I guess, that vetting. Did you find the po- out? Yeah, the policing. It's like it, it comes across as though they're not really policing these items. Like like the algorithm is saying, from what I can gather, it might be price, availability, but reviews are part of that, obviously. And so um, I came across a handful that of Amazon's choice items that just seemed like super bad purchases. <laughs> like my favorite <laughs> one is this Apple watch charger. It's not by Apple. It's by another company. Um, and so it's an Apple watch charger. And a bunch of the reviews are for the 50th anniversary edition of the movie My Fair Lady. <laughs> and then, but but it had like... So it says like four stars and then you go down and read the reviews and they're all like, great movie. Love it on VHS. Well, so it's it's got 18... It, at the time when I was reporting this, it had 1844 customer reviews averaging four stars. And so some reviews are for the charger and some are for My Fair Lady. But my favorite, my favorite, you know how they've got like the, someone asks a question and then someone answers it. Someone asked, does it work with the Apple Watch 4? And someone else responded, no, because all the good reviews are fraudulent (laughs) and this is nothing but a cheap, low quality garbage that may or may not partially charge and damage your watch. It will get hot and could potentially start a fire and destroy your house and take your loved one's lives. Wow. (laughs) Like, But the rain in Spain falls me. Mainly on the plane. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it's Amazon's choice, you know? I mean, this is their choice. Like so did when you spoke to Amazon, because it seemed you you do say in the piece that it uses all these signals, right? And your final comment in this is I can read it. It's Amazon's choice feature is, and then this is quote, just our recommendation, and customers can always ask for specific brands or products if they choose, which is such a typical cop-out comment. But so did Amazon say are there Amazon humans that work at Amazon looking at these signals and saying, okay, slap an Amazon choice on that? Or is it an automated process? I didn't really get an answer on that. Uh, I mean, I my understanding is that this is an algorithm, and I did not get the impression that there were humans like doing a final seal of approval on these items. Let's just right. say if they have a human slapping it on, they didn't tell me that. So <laughs> and they're that, not. That's very the, good I guess the job, most I, I can say. And if the, and like but, yeah. from what we've learned about humans that work at companies and do these types of tasks, like that human has never gotten sleep or eating breaks <laughs> forever. They just sit there slapping on Amazon Choice logos. Right. Yeah. Onto they're they're my quite tired. Name. Maybe that's why they're maybe that's why they're missing a lot. Um, yeah. I mean, some of the other ones, it was just like uh, I saw someone tweeting out. 
out. It was a couple of really funny ones. Like one guy tweeted, it was Amazon's choice for a lock. And then it, you know, it turns out there's like this video or sorry, this like, I don't know if he's a YouTuber, but he's like a dude who picks, he shows people how to pick locks. And so this is Amazon's choice. And he picked the lock with a hairpin or something in like 12 seconds flat. Okay, maybe not 12, but it was really fast. Like he broke into this thing very quickly. And this guy's tweeting about it. And he's like, hello, how do you pick Amazon's choice items? I noticed that this, you know, lock picker got into your selection very quickly or something like that. Um, And then other ones just... uh, there was one, it was it was some kind of electronic, like an, I don't know, it was like an amp or something. And this person had dismantled it and found a fingerprint on it to, that like showed that some essential part had been removed that apparently like with the part removed made it dangerous or something. So there's some rather bizarre Amazon's choices out there. So it's just occurring to me that we, it, it feels like Amazon is threatening to go sort of in the same direction that like Craigslist and eBay went, where at the beginning it was a bunch of people with like pretty good intentions, trying to do the right thing. It was great and convenient and everything worked. And then it became a system you could game. So people started gaming the system. And then the experience of using it became so impossible because you just never knew. Like you were always just rolling dice with like, are the people going to be normal? Am I going to get the thing that I thought? Will customer service help me if I don't? Uh, And it's just like you got to the point where like you can't responsibly do most things on either of those services because who knows how it's all going to turn out. Because are we getting there with Amazon? Like I feel like every single thing that I see on an Amazon page now I've learned is not necessarily trustworthy unless you want to do a ton of research all by yourself. I think you have to be really uh, like vigilant about looking at who's selling it and um, in some cases who's shipping it. And I mean, one of my favorite stories, I don't really know if this person's going to like me telling this story, but someone I know who we work with ordered some pants on Amazon. Cool. They were like a custom length that came from China, apparently. And then it turned out that they were much too short. And then so he wanted to return them. And he, but he was going to have to pay to ship them back, and it was going to end up costing him some absurd amount of money. And like the the seller that he was emailing with was like, "Okay, I can like take fifteen dollars off if you're willing to keep the pants." And he's like, "I'm not going to keep the pants because they don't fit me." And well, why I, didn't I mean, you just it's... make them shorts? Great question. <laughs> you might want to ask your editor about that. I'm looking at him right now, and he's saying to me, "Good, good question." He just said, <laughs> "How did I, I know, immediately know that was going to be a Wilson story?" <laughs> I like it. Uh, okay, so you have a bunch of tips in here for what people can do. And a lot of it is like the the brands thing I thought was really important. Not only are you not clear that something is coming from the brand you think it's coming from, but there is a way to check. It's small, but you can check. But it's also not necessarily Amazon that's shipping it to you. So shipping can get weird. So it's like you, you almost have to like quality check the whole chain of supply here yeah. that's going to get it to you. Yeah. Which seems like a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, I think you, there's just things you have to start looking out for. And often they might be in like slightly lighter colored print than the other <laughs> things, you know. It's so, the tiny blue links that yeah, are always the ones yeah, you Yeah. Or just like, to. you know, when you when you initially, I'd say if I had to go like step by step of what I'd say to do is like when you type in the, you know, the product, you want to first of all look at if you're going to accidentally be clicking on a sponsored, you know, item, which is actually an ad. Yep. Um, you want to look if it's Prime Pantry or if it's Amazon Fresh, because those things either require minimums or they just 
you know, they're tied to like subscription programs. You obviously, if you're going to look at an Amazon's Choice product, I say you want to check out the one star reviews first. It's and that's like, where people will start to say things like, this is obviously fake. Don't buy it. Right. Like, that's, right. That's exactly. Okay. Whereas if someone's like, you know, the color said it, you know, it was described as coral and it's really tangerine. <laughs> like, OK, I can, you know, sure. you can. That's something you might be able to live with. So I would check those. And then um, also you want to be careful, I would say, whenever there's like a bulk item, uh, you're not always saving money by shopping in bulk. I found a container of Tide that was, I don't know, the ounces seemed really high, but it was it was $49. And then all these people were commenting, being like, I thought I was supposed to get two of these. And it turns out it was like, you know, basically highway robbery for the Tide. So yeah, I would do some like calculations or kind of look around for the either price per ounce or, you know, price per item if you're buying like six toothpastes or whatever. And then, uh, and then you want to check who the seller is. And there's a couple different things to know on the sort of who's selling, who's shipping front, which is there's, you know, sold and fulfilled by Amazon. And then there's sold by a third party and fulfilled by Amazon. And what that means is that the third party is like shipping their items to one of Amazon's warehouses. And then Amazon is actually, you know, getting the items to you. Mm -hmm you know, through a carrier. And then you've got this other category, which is called Seller Fulfilled Prime. Um, and that is third-party sellers who they have, like, like they're both selling the item and they're fulfilling it, but it can still be a prime item. So they're shipping it, but they have to, like, adhere to these very strict guidelines where, like, they have to get the order, like, you know, scanned and out for delivery, I think, within 24 hours of receiving it. Um, so so, and so because Seller Fulfilled Prime, they have these strict requirements, you you know, you could get one who's very good and might be able to get you an item faster than Amazon would because they don't get, like, this processing time grace period. Remember when Amazon was easy and great and straightforward <laughs> yeah. and all this was supposed to be Did so simple? Did I say simple? too many things? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm tired listening Sorry. to that. That's so crazy. Uh, it seems like Amazon, as it gets bigger, is an increasingly important system. So people are finding more and more creative ways to game the system, Yeah. which means that for you as a buyer, there are fewer and fewer ways to trust the system, which just ends up in this like hopelessly broken sort of cycle of not knowing what you're getting ever unless you buy from, you know, the the three brands you actually trust. It's rough. It's a weird <laughs> it's world. Rough out That's there. dark. Yeah. Thanks for leaving I us just, there. Last week, yes, I did a video about the butterfly keyboard and I found myself in this really crazy situation. I needed to order a lot of props and things to take care of butterflies. And so I turned to Amazon and within 24 hours, a butterfly net, a butterfly home, some butterfly books showed up at my house. Did actual butterflies show up at your house too? I didn't order those on Amazon, though you can okay. order the eggs. Whoa. Okay. But that's kind of why we're still on Amazon, right? For all your butterfly needs, keep using Amazon, yes, I guess. Thank you, sure. Katie. Thanks, guys. Amazon's also a big part of what I want to dig into next. Basically, there's this tension. People want everything delivered as fast as possible, as cheap as possible, and right now. All those things are hard and expensive and complicated for the companies and restaurants that are having to do this delivery to pull off. So everybody from Walmart and Starbucks to mom and pop restaurants all over the world is trying to figure out how to be part of this new delivery economy. There are even robots involved. Julie Jargon is one of the reporters on the series, and she's also, as of this week, our new family columnist. She'll be on the show a lot. But first, we're going to call her in L.A. to talk about her last stuff on her old beat. Julie, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Let's start here. So you did this whole big series of stories 
about delivery wars. And I feel like it starts with this central tension between people who really want delivery and companies that can't afford or figure out how to do delivery. Can you explain that tension? Like, why are these two sides so far away from each other? Well, I think the reason is people have become conditioned to get whatever they want delivered very quickly to their home. And so they don't understand why it should be any different with food. And so, you know, people people want to have a restaurant meal or groceries delivered to their doorstep, but it's not as simple as shipping toilet paper or other, you know, dry goods. There are a lot of complicated logistical issues involved in shipping food, and it's not profitable uh, for most restaurants and grocery stores yet. And so that's kind of that inherent tension right there. So what what is different about it? Like, the it seems like you're you have a thing and then I want it. So why can't, why isn't everything the same to deliver to me? Well, when you're ordering something on Amazon, clothes, dry goods, what have you, it can be shipped. It can get banged around in delivery and it doesn't really matter. Your toilet paper is still basically going to function when it gets to your doorstep. Um, if you're ordering a burrito, it might be really soggy and cold when it gets to your door and that's not so good. And there are a lot of costs associated with keeping that burrito intact and warm. It's a little bit, um, you know, more expensive than, you know, than shipping other types of items because you have to have special packaging and you have to have drivers that are there on time and get it to you quickly and they have to figure out the route to get it to you quickly. So, um, you know, if your toilet paper shows up a day late, as we know, on Amazon Prime, you're not always getting everything in, in two days, it's still toilet paper. If your burrito comes to you 15 minutes late, it doesn't really look or taste like a burrito anymore. That's fair. <laughs> like my, my dinged up burrito in my apartment building is probably not exactly what I'm after. I can only think of uh, inappropriate things to say about joining an order of toilet paper and a burrito together <laughs> as a combo <laughs> deal. So it's a certain amount of like perfect. <laughs> Mims, maybe you have to jump in here. I just want to know what the solution. You said it's not profitable. Well, no, no. Let's back up. If it's not profitable, why the heck is anybody doing it? Yes, thank you. Everybody's so obsessed with this idea, and it can't make any money for anybody. So, like, why are we so interested in this? They're doing it because everybody else is doing it, and if they don't do it, people aren't going to turn to them at all. So they're going to lose customers altogether. I think the hope is that they will eventually have enough volume to to offset you know any any profit loss on the orders themselves and a lot of restaurants already um, say that they have incremental sales from offering delivery so those are sales that are that they wouldn't have had otherwise people that wouldn't go through the drive-through at McDonald's or wouldn't go to a McDonald's are ordering McDonald's to be delivered so those are extra customers and that can offset that you know the cost of getting the McDonald's to people's door and if they don't do it people aren't going to go to McDonald's for delivery at all. They're going to go to Taco Bell or somewhere else. So I think that's the really simple answer. So it, it, will it end up just being somebody who can figure out a way to sort of subsidize this in order to basically like be the Amazon and be the only restaurant that gets any business? Like we'll have one fast food chain left and then eventually they'll raise their prices and we'll go through this crazy cycle of, of delivery? I don't think it'll get that extreme. I mean, I think I think delivery is here to stay. Um, and I think eventually that might be the way that people are moving toward their food consumption. I mean, right now, the majority of people still are going to the restaurants are going through the drive through. But that could change at some point. Um, you know, there are a lot of estimates out there about how delivery will will become kind of the the way that people get their food. And a lot of restaurants are responding to that idea by developing um, smaller footprint restaurants, kind of uh, delivery only 
you know, small format stores. You see this with Starbucks and a lot of other chains um, where there's no dining room at all. And they're there only to serve delivery orders or takeout orders. We were hearing about that with like the, the I forget what they're called, the like industrial kitchens that they're opening all over New York in places that, isn't this what Travis Kalanick is doing now? Just opening a bunch of kitchens to make delivery food for people? Yes, that's definitely happening. They, they call them like ghost kitchens um, or yeah. ghost restaurants uh, where you have this huge commercial space and you've got a million different brands renting space in one large area and they're they're making food to go and Uber and Lyft and all the other driving services come up and pick up the food and, and take it to people's door. And it never actually comes from a physical restaurant. It comes from a commercial kitchen. Um, so that's definitely one business model. What would you, when, you, when you've been reporting this out and you've done a number of different stories on different types of food companies, has there been any technology that you've been like really struck by that's going to make this delivery process or like how we get the food better? I mean, we've talked about on this podcast before, like how 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 to keep pizzas warmer or how to keep things colder has there been anything that's like really strike, struck you as like super cool that's going to happen yeah i don't know i mean there's some there's different you know folks that are experimenting there's this um, pizza delivery place in san francisco that has these little trucks that are outfitted with i think the pizza is actually made in the truck um, and, and then it's kept warm during transit it's actually made while it's being delivered to people those are sort of one offs i wouldn't expect um, some huge change in the restaurant industry to happen anytime soon. Um, there definitely are some advances in packaging, like Starbucks made these um, spill-proof lids and warm containers for delivery in China. And they might be using them here as a rollout delivery in the U.S. too. Um, but nothing that's like really struck me as super exciting. I think Pizza Hut has some some newer delivery boxes to keep the pizza warmer in transit. I think what might be the ultimate future is drone delivery, um, as, as Mims has written about, and whether you can actually get a coffee dropped off in your in your backyard by a drone. Um, I think that would be, I, I would definitely use that if that was available to me in LA. Um, yeah. So I yeah. think, I think the delivery so- method more so than the, the packaging will be exciting. And this new yeah. competitor to Starbucks in China, what's it, Luck? Luckin? Luckin? Yes. What are they doing anything differently, or they're just they they've just got the operations down pat, so they're just super fast. It's not it's just decent coffee that just gets there super fast. Is that? Yeah, they've got it. They've kind of got it down. They've sort of um, you know they followed where where Starbucks locations are located, and then they just kind of open up shop next to them to sort of steal their customers. And it's like what Microsoft uh, you know, did to Apple stores. Yeah, yeah. that's worked out well. And, and they and they use you know <laughs> mopeds and and stuff to deliver. And I guess in China, which is really cool, a lot of the office buildings and apartment buildings have robots that, that take the delivery and then they hand off to the, the person in the mega office complex. Um, so you get your, your coffee delivered by a robot in a lot of places in China. So that's pretty interesting. I, uh, so the I robot- got a pitch on that today. And I, I think this term might, maybe we can make it happen. They called it last inch delivery. Right. We've heard about last mile and it's like, well, no, yeah. how do you get the last like 30 feet? And I mean, uh, the... I mean, I feel like what's coming next is how do you get it from the office robot into my mouth? Yeah, I was thinking yeah. that. Well, and then I don't want to chew. I just want nutrients. The like, last I want... millimeter. How do you get it into my cells? Delivered, is in, a, what I want delivered to in a millisecond. <laughs> Wait, so those robots like pick it up at the door and bring it up? Exactly. Yeah, I need that actually. <laughs> last night I was working here like pretty late and I ordered sushi and I had to go downstairs and get it. God forbid. I know. I know. It sounds awful. 
So you you're, you think this transition is going to be messy, but for for us as consumers, the the idea that we can get anything delivered quickly is is only going to be more real. We're not all going to decide this is a bad business model and and get away from it. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think consumers will decide it's a bad business model. I think consumers are <laughs> demanding it, and there's a lot of evidence to suggest they're going to only increasingly demand it. Uh, I don't think that we're going to see a lot of people wanting to go back to eating out in in droves or going back to the the grocery store. Once you get used to that convenience, you don't really want to you know go back to the way it was before. So the restaurants and grocery chains are going to have to figure out how to do this in a seamless way and in a profitable way. It's my understanding that there are more people employed in food service in America than ever. And Americans recently started spending more eating out than they did on groceries, which was also a first. Is there, do you think that trend's going to continue? Or are we all just going to become like Manhattanites and just give up on cooking? Yeah. I mean, people, people just definitely aren't cooking um, so much anymore. And I don't think that's going to change, but people don't want to go out to eat. They want to eat at home, but they don't want to cook at home. So that's Is that where, because of that's Netflix? Why they're... they're just like, your restaurant doesn't have my Netflix account. So so forget you. <laughs> I mean, I think that's why the meal kit services on opening. And of course, that we, we know that that didn't work out so well. People want to feel like they're assembling a meal, even if they're not actually cooking it. But a lot of people are just kind of lazy and don't want to don't even care about doing that and and just want to want to order their food in altogether. I yeah, mean, isn't I don't, that the I don't kitchen robot dream? Change. Like when we think of the Jetsons, like isn't that cooking's fun for some of us? But really, like if, if any of us could have a delicious meal at any time of day or night, like isn't that what the whole this whole thing is about? I think it's about salt. I think <laughs> I think that when you cook at home, you don't put as much salt and oil and bad things in your food. But when you order in, there's a lot of salt and good tasting food. Are you going to pivot to being a, a health commentator for us, Joanna? Also, wait, was that... Possibly. I can't decide which of those sides you think is better, Joanna. Uh, <laughs> the salt. Very, like, pro-salt at the end salt of that story. Salt is so good. Salt on <laughs> your food uh, is so good. And we don't cook with that much salt. We, we shouldn't cook with that much salt. I cook with a lot of salt. Yeah, well. I put a lot of salt on my food that's cooked or that's delivered. Okay, that's, then my argument freak. has gone nowhere. See, this is why Julie's a columnist now. She knows everything. Okay, now it's time for our newest segment, Today I Learned, in which one of us brings something we've learned this week. It can be about anything. Stories we're working on, stories we're not working on, whatever. Joanna, tell us what you learned this week. I learned a lot about coils. Do you expect that? Like the the spinny, roundy things. Spinny, roundy things that are in our wireless charging pads. And I learned all of this because we haven't discussed this on the podcast yet, but air power died. Actually, can we edit in some funeral music here? <laughs> air power is dead. And the reason that air power is dead is, well, we'll never know the real reason, but the likely reason air power is dead is because it was so hard for Apple to cram all of these charging coils into a flat surface that would charge multiple devices at the same time. And so I did a lot of research on electromagnetic induction, which is how the science, the science behind these coils. And it turns out there is, it's really complicated. I mean, how, how I mean, we talked about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, but it's really complicated how the coils, uh, both the, the receiver coil and the transmitter coil have to talk to each other. But it seems the real issues surrounded around two things that were difficult when you add a lot of coils into one space. One was heat, that likely what was happening is that there was no place for the power to go when it wasn't going to one of the devices. So this device might have been getting getting really hot. 
presumably. So there's just like electromagnetic fields just like radiating around when nothing else is going on. Right. Like there was no other place for the the heat to go or there no no other place for the power to go, which is interesting. Another fun fact I learned is that, well, I've actually known this, but that other wireless chargers like the one from Samsung and other companies have fans inside it because of this, because of this heat. Uh, so I don't know if Apple had put a fan into air power, but could have been one of the things they were trying to do to mitigate the heat. And then the other one, the, the other issue is likely that there was interference, that with so many coils working at the same time, there would have been signal issues or signal interference. Oh, so is this, the thing that I was struck by with the air power announcement was that it kind of seemed like this is clearly the right idea and it might just be physically impossible to do wireless charging in this seamless, delightful way that we all want it to be done. Is that is that your impression too? Is it can we just not do this thing? That's really that's the road I w- went on for this reporting. And the good news is that when I spoke to many of these experts, they they didn't say this is impossible. They just think that in the size and the form factor that Apple was trying to make here, it was impossible. And they think that if there was a thicker charger, and that maybe caused some of the proximity issues to how these these coils need to be, the, the receiver coil in your phone and the, the coil in the pad, how close they have to be to each other. But one person told me that, uh, that they believe that if this was a little bit thicker, that could help. On top of that, another type of standard, this uses the Qi standard, which requires the devices to be closer in proximity to each other to charge. But the air fuel standard may may have made this more uh, le- may have lessened the hurdles that they had to go through to make this. Let me just jump in here. Can we recall a time when they announced a product and then didn't deliver? Is this a first? Was it a mistake to announce a product at all? I think this is the reason Apple doesn't pre-announce products. I mean, they said they they held up a sign that said sneak peek during the the event in 2017. So they knew they hadn't made this yet. And then Phil Schiller, and I'll quote him here, said, he said, this is not possible with current standards, but our team knows how to do this. So they were like, in my mind, some engineer was just like, we can do this, guys. And then they just put together the slide and they were off to the races. The boy, I bet that engineer regrets that decision now. By the way, you should read more about this. There's so many words that you wrote about coils in your column this week. So everybody should go read that if you want to know even more weird detail about coils. Coming up, Christopher Mims and Flytrex CEO. Mims, tell me if I'm pronouncing this right. Yareev Bash. You got it. Nice. Talk about whether drone delivery could be the answer to everyone's problems in all ways, forever and ever. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. NetSuite by Oracle brings accounting, finance, inventory, and HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce costs everywhere. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. So head to netsuite.com slash wallstreet right now. Welcome back. Christopher, tell us us who you interviewed this week. This week I interviewed Yareev Bash. He is the CEO of a company called Flytrex, and they are the furthest ahead in drone delivery of food and small consumer goods. There are other companies, but these are the ones who have done the most worldwide in terms of just making a commercial service happen. And the first one is in Iceland. There are going to be trials later this year in North Carolina. So in the US at least, really is Alphabet's subsidiary wing versus this Israeli startup that nobody has ever heard of called Flytrex that is already operating a commercial drone delivery service. So he is going to talk to us about what is good and what is going to be hard about expanding this beyond the 
tiny, tiny trial that they're doing now. Let's just start with the story of Flytrax. We started the company back at the end of 2013. We developed GPS trackers or black boxes. We ended up selling quite a lot of units and we accumulated one of the largest databases in the world for drone flights. We realized that the uh, killer application for drones is going to be drone deliveries, and we started focusing on that. So I love this vision of fleets of drones doing backyard delivery all over the tiny island nation of Iceland, which is, for American listeners, about as big as Kentucky, but way more varied. What is that going to feel like for consumers? So we'd like to call that experience uh, uh, instant gratification. It's going to be your ability to order whatever you need and get it almost instantly, besides maybe a teleportation like in, in Star Trek. Uh, so instead of aggregating your uh, uh, groceries for a weekly buy, you'll be able to get the tomatoes you need for your salad within 15 minutes. Or if you've got visitors and you ran out of beer, you can have your beer delivered within 15 minutes. And, uh, or even your next iPhone. Why wait for next day delivery if you can get your new iPhone in 20 minutes or less from Best Buy or anyone else? Uh, so that's going to be the experience. And you won't even have to tip anyone or even get dressed because the drone will be dropping it off in your backyard. And it will cost you a lot less than what you pay for deliveries today. So that's the experience we envision, at least for uh, people in the suburbs, people who, who have a backyard, which enables us to, to, to land or, or deliver to their backyard. These things aren't small, right? So you're talking about between 30 and 40 pounds fully loaded. Mm -hmm. What guarantee do I have that's not going to, out of all these thousands of drone flights, if this is going to become routine, what guarantee do I have that's not going to fall on me and, and crush me or my little dog? For every delivery we'll be making, we'll be actually saving lives. You have to think about the alternative. The alternative is a guy in a truck that weighs a few tons that drives for 10, 12 hours a day to deliver you a package and is texting or looking at the map while driving after not sleeping last night uh, versus drones, which are much lighter than those alternatives. They're completely automatic. Uh, these are robots. They don't get tired. They can walk 24-7 without getting tired with very strict framework dictated by the FAA. Every drone that will be making a delivery will be actually saving people's lives on the ground. That's the approach that we, we've had from day one, and we're working on making that a reality. Tell me about this job of the future, drone fleet operator. You're claiming that you can take somebody who has no formal training, and, and you can train them to ride herd on how many drones, and how long does that take? So we've actually already done that in Iceland. And after a one-day training session, they were allowed to fly a fleet of drones above the city beyond visual line of sight. There's no joystick. There's no virtual cockpit. All an operator has to do is install a package on a drone and press the green button. We take care of the rest. We, we don't expect our operators to even put a point on a map. We take care of that for them. Even today in the U.S., Getting a commercial drone operator license, it's 150 bucks. Uh, it's a lot easier than getting a driver's license, and it should be. 
it's a lot less risk than driving a car on the road. One thing I didn't find out about until late in the reporting on drone delivery services was that there have been instances in the past when the FBI and possibly other U.S. three-letter agencies mm -hmm. actually overruled the FAA in terms of allowing drones to fly autonomously or fly beyond line of sight or fly in certain areas. Mm -hmm. And as I understand it, these organizations and even the DOD are really worried about the security part of allowing a bunch of drones to fly up in the sky. Because if you have a full-on drone delivery system, I could imagine visually, at least it's not hard to slip another drone into that system, but it's a rogue drone and it's carrying a little bomb and it's headed for the airport or some other horrible thing like that. How are you guys going to tackle the security issue? There's always going to be the problem of a rogue agent. Those rogue agents that go into a store, buy a drone or order the parts online. That's a concern for the uh, local uh, police and homeland security forces. Uh, the same guy can rent a car and do something bad with the car or go into a, a utility shop and buy a knife. Once uh, you see a drone flying above the airport, you can pretty much know that it's a rogue drone and you can counter that drone. As a regulated company, we're very much, you know, we're, we're the least of the concerns to all those agencies. Right. What I'm saying is that the FBI and other agencies are worried that once there are a bunch of commercial drones in the sky, that provides cover for people who might use those drones in other ways. So I know that, for example, uh, systems for drones to automatically identify themselves are something that the FAA is pursuing and is your competitor, Google Wing. Are you working on that at all? We are connecting to a UTM, an unmanned traffic management system. And once you have such a system in place, it's really easy to, to identify the drones that are not part of the system. Uh, so again, we'll pretty much pro any uh, system that will be put in place to regulate the, uh, the skies. Obviously, there are going to be a lot of um, niches here. And we've already seen that in the FAA's trials. There, I think that UPS is working with Matternet to deliver medicines for hospitals. And obviously you have drone companies delivering blood in Uganda, for example. What are some of the other applications of drone delivery you're anticipating? So if, let's say, your car is in a garage, they need a specific part for your car. They'll be able to get it within an hour instead of waiting for a next day delivery of that part. Drones will be able to carry whatever is needed a lot faster than, than you could do today. Actually, one of the uh, pilots that we've considered doing with a local bank that wanted to deliver credit cards to uh, local bank branches, would be able to get your new credit card within a day or even less. So really, the sky's are the limit for the kind of deliveries that you'll be able to do. Is the sky's the limit a pun you like to use often when describing drone delivery? <laughs> I think we've been overusing that. So tell me a story about... Um, just weave a narrative for me about I am a busy parent because we know those are the folks. I'm a busy parent in real life, but we know those are the folks who use delivery the most because they're willing to pay for time for convenience. What's it feel like five years from now? I'm a busy parent in, uh, let's say, Holly Springs, North Carolina, where you're doing a trial. I wake up. I open my app from whatever partner you have there. What's that whole experience feel like from start to finish, and what, how much time does it take? So let's say you just find out that you ran out of diapers. Currently, what you have to do 
is put your baby in a car, drive to a local convenience store, take the baby out, go and buy diapers, and then drive back home. You could be in the comfort of your house, just open up your iPhone, order them online. Uh, packaging will be done within a few minutes, and after that, you'll get a notification, and you'll be able to see the, uh, the drone on a map with an estimated time of arrival that is down to the second on when that drone will be in your backyard or above your backyard. Once the drone arrives at your backyard, all you have to do is press a button, a pure proving that you're at the location willing to accept the package, and then we'll be loading the package to your backyard. You can pick up the package, go inside without any hassle, without even getting out of your pajamas. And again, delivery fees should be even less than what you pay today. So be real with me. Did you have some drunk Icelander attacking your drone that inspired this? Uh, so no. So our first operations in Iceland, the drone landed on the other side. But then we had a person who was there to make sure that nobody approaches the drone. But they try to approach the drone before the motor was shut down. That made us think, uh, start thinking that, you know, if you have a guy there, that, then that's one thing. And he can stop those people from approaching the drone. But we need to think of a better solution uh, before someone might get injured or before we, we start losing drones because of enthusiastic people. But people are excited. All right, that's our show for the week. Thanks to Yariv, Julie, Katie, Joanna, and Christopher for being here. Thanks to Tanya, our producer, and Wilson, our editor. And thank you for listening. We have new episodes on Fridays, so make sure you subscribe to Instant Message, as usual, on whatever podcast app you use. And listen to our other podcasts, like the new What's News podcast, which comes out twice a day. As always, if you have feedback or ideas, email us at personaltech at wsj.com. We'll talk to you soon.